Good morning and welcome to episode 821 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindbergh of 538. Hey, Ben. Hello. Later in the show, Jeff Paternostro will be talking to Jen Mac Ramos of, among other places, Purple Row about the Rockies. But in the meantime, we will be talking about the Rockies with the author of this year's Rockies essay in the BP Annual and the extremely talented Deadspin writer, Tom Lay. Hey, Tom. Hey, Dad. How's it going? It's pretty good. So um, the Rockies aren't a good franchise, and they never win. Right. <laughs> they, what, they've won 85 games once in their history. They've never won the division, uh, and things are getting, uh, if anything, worse and worse. And so I don't know that there's necessarily a solution to this, but I guess it's fair to ask, is it, is it fair to make a team play in Colorado at altitude? Yeah, um, I, I feel like if they were a more competent franchise, they could have answered that question a while ago. Like, I just, I just wish the Rockies were good enough that they could have put out a, a winning team that won for a few years in a row and say, yeah, you know, altitude's fine. But just the combination of them being so bad at developing talent for so long, it I think it gives a lot more weight to the altitude thing than I'm not so sure it deserves. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like to see, like, you know, if the Cardinals had to play in Coors Field, I'm sure they'd pretty much be fine. But it's definitely not something that helps a team that's already, you know, not so great at doing the normal stuff that a good franchise needs to do. Do Rockies fans obsess about the altitude challenge the way that BP writers do, or... Is this just kind of an example of us clinging to the, to you know, we look at the team twice a year and so we cling to the simplest explanation every time? Yeah, I, I think most fans have sort of gotten over it. You know, a lot of them, you know, once the humidor came into play, they were like, oh, you know, that's sort of the end of that. But yeah, I don't know. I think that it was when, you know, the Blake Street Bombers were around, it was a big thing, you know, Chris Field, Altitude, all of that. But I think once that playoff run happened in 2007, when we got to the World Series, as fluky and weird as that was, I think that a lot of fans were, from that point forward, just kind of want to be a normal team. You know, they don't want to think about altitude and all of that. They just want the team to get good again. So I, I don't think it's as much a topic that that many fans in Colorado think about anymore. And are the Rockies the heir to the sort of most depressing franchise thrown that maybe the Phillies are sort of starting to vacate, at least now that they have kind of caught up with the times and don't say as many seemingly silly things in the press and and are maybe starting to pull out of the depressing period they've been in for the last couple of years. Are the Rockies, because it, it, it seems like they have just entered that sweet spot where they kind of have the depressing team performance combined with sort of the Diamondbacks-esque confusion surrounding every one of their transactions this offseason? Yeah, I would say yes, except that Coors Field is awesome and Colorado is awesome. And most people who are Rocky fans or who go to games are just kind of there to like hang out in the sun and drink beer and have a good time. Like nobody, nobody ever gets that fired up about how terrible they are, which, you know, is good and bad. But I, I think that most teams in Denver, like if you're asking how depressed you about the Rockies, they'd be like, yeah, you know, I like going to the game. It's fun. So I think that sort of, there's sort of like a chill vibe around the way the fans feel about the team that's always been there that I think will sort of keep them from, at least for the home fans, being the most depressing team. But like ever since I've moved, you know, I, I live in New York now and they're much more depressing than I lived 
in Colorado because, you know, I used to just go to a game and be like, oh, cool, this is great. This is great. I love this. Who cares if this is bad? But now I'm far away and I'm just watching them struggle and it's it's much, much worse. And what's the perceived root of the problem if it's not just as simple as saying Coors Field? Because it, it's harder to get a read on the front office, I guess, because it's just a, a less talkative group, it seems like. It's not... It's not like their front office is coming out with crazy Ruben Amaro statements or even Dave Stewart statements that get mocked on Twitter so much. It's more the the results and the actual moves than it is kind of the optics of the organization. So I, what's the perception of their, their competence? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of it was, you know, like Dan O'Dowd, you know, he never, he never projected himself as like, an incompetent guy or a crazy guy who didn't know what he was doing. But there are always small indicators that, well, not necessarily small, but indicators that, you know, he didn't really know what he was doing. Like for a long time, the team had no interest in signing players from uh, the Dominican or Venezuela. Or, like they just weren't in that market. They had no scouting apparatus, nothing like that. And then there was, you know, stuff about like, there were these weird stories about the locker room being like, mostly Christian and that the team tried to like make an effort to only sign like good Christian players, mm-hmm. um, which just sort of speaks to like, you know, if you're a GM and you're allowing that kind of stuff to guide your front office, that's, you know, you can't do that. And so I think a lot of that stuff in more recent years has sort of been starting to, they're starting to release that. Like, you know, now they're definitely in the, in the Caribbean and they're, you know, signing, signing players. And you know, the new GM Burridge, he he seems to have a plan. I don't know if it's good or not. But the thing that I've been out in those really bad years was just the the team just felt directionless, like they were just floating and I mean I'm sure part of that's because people in color don't really care that much, so you can get away with being a bad GM for a lot longer. <laughs> um I mean, most of them, I mean, a lot of them maybe not even knew who Dan O'Dowd was. It's just that the team was bad and they didn't really care to ask why. So uh, it took a long time to get him fired to get him out, uh, a lot longer than it should have. And hopefully things will be better with Burdich, but who knows. I mean, like, I, it does seem pretty weird to sign players exclusively based on their religious creed, but it's probably also better than signing Kyle Kendrick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe they're signing Kyle. Maybe Kyle Kendrick's a great Christian. I don't know. But I, I just I did Google while you were talking, and I didn't see any any evidence that he is uh, he is on the religious. Uh, yeah, that would be offer some explanation as to why they did that. So no other reason why that should happen. So you uh, kind of allude to this in your essay. I think we often allude to it. I mean, the Rockies. It is not for lack of trying. They have. It seems like they have tried something new every two or three years. They've tried some things that were actually kind of novel and interesting and some things that were not novel and not interesting and that didn't make any sense like Kyle Kendrick. But having watched 25 years of, of experimenting with this franchise, do you have any idea what you would do? Like, like what would, is there a, I don't know, is there any model that you would follow? Is there any way that you would take advantage of this, the uh, environment? Is there anything that you think that they should do? Like what would, what would you tell the GM if you could? Yeah, I feel like, so one of the reasons I'm slightly encouraged by Burdich so far is that I, my opinion has always been the way to have a decent pitching staff in, in course field is you just have to get, like, high-velocity guys who can just 
throw 98-99 and just do what they can to mow people down. And, you know, for a long time, the team philosophy was like contact pitchers, guys who induce a lot of ground balls. They wanted to, you know, avoid the giant outfield, burning them, which is a nice idea and concept. And, like, you know, they, like Aaron Cook with renowned and throw like a complete game shutout and we throw 94 pitches and he did 20 ground balls and the team would be like, oh, you know, that's that's what we need to do. But the next thing Aaron Cook would give up four home runs because he throws, you know, a 92 mile an hour sinker that sometimes doesn't sink. And, you know, the one really successful, you know, ace-like year we had was the Ibaldo Jimenez year in 90, in 2007. And Ibaldo Jimenez is never that great of a pitcher. He could just throw really hard and he had some decent breaking stuff. And he got lucky that year with a lot of, you know, bad energy balls in play and stuff like that. But that's that's kind of the benefit of being a guy who can throw 98. And with, with Burdich, you know, he seems to be making an effort to, especially in the bullpen, get those kind of guys. And, you know, trading Pickerson for McGee is in a vacuum a pretty, pretty stupid trade. But it's less stupid if you are of the mind that, like, playing in Coors Field, you can develop hitting pretty well, uh, hitting will kind of take care of itself, and you have to pay a premium to get the specific type of pitcher you want that you think can succeed in that environment. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that will work, because it seems to be this year forming the going for, like, the powerful bullpen thing, like what the Rays were doing last year. Um, and I'm interested to see how that works. If you just stack up three or four guys in the bullpen, you can blow everyone away and see how that see how that goes. And is this at least the most exciting Rockies minor league system you've seen during your time watching the yeah. team or, or in recent years at least? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's always hard to get excited about the system in general just because, um, especially pitching, like they've never, ever, ever, ever developed as a starting pitcher. Like it's, it's sort of astonishing. So I'm not, I mean, I, I'm very wary to be optimistic about, you know, John Gray and Jeff Hoffman and the pitches that they have. Um, but, you know, the, on the hitting side, things look good, and that's sort of one of the nice things about them is you can always count on them bringing up some hitters that will you can just plug in and they'll be good. And, you know, it'd be nice if some of these pitches worked out. You can sort of see, kind of start to see a, a way forward where this all works if Gray and Hoffman and Sinoco and Castro are all great, then, you know, sure, that's awesome. But uh, it's really hard to give them any kind of benefit of doubt since they've only ever developed disasters uh, in the pitching staff. Is there a year yet that you can point to and say that this is the target, <laughs> this is when it's going to come together, or is it still sort of nebulous? Oh, uh, I don't know. So it's the, I don't know. I guess if everything works out perfectly, we could be a playoff team in five years. I don't know. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with John. Uh, John Gray and Jeff Hoffman are the two pitchers. Like, they need to hit a, a home run and some starting pitchers and just get someone who's good. Because they just they can't compete in today's league with the starting pitching that they have. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't want to, like, make a bold Coors Light prediction or anything like that. But it would be nice to get a playoff appearance in, like, the next three or four years. This is easily the most depressing <laughs> one that we've done like th this is like there are bad teams there are a lot of bad teams but this is so sad to me so so i'll give you a choice for this next question we did the reds last week <laughs> yeah and it was a lot and yeah well russell was detached i think even more than yeah. 
and bums. <laughs> so I guess so. So since it's been so hard, I'll give you a choice. You can answer one of these two questions. What did you think about the Corey Dickerson Jake McGee trade? Or does anything make you happy <laughs> about this team? I mean, I'm sure lots in life makes you happy, but does anything about does anything about the Rockies make you happy? Anything about the Rockies make me happy? Um, that's tough. No, <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it was when we had Troy Kulitsky, he made me very happy. I no longer have Troy Kulitsky. It's been much harder to be happy. You know, no, no, nothing, nothing makes me happy. I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not angry. You know, I'm not super depressed, but I'm also not feeling, feeling great. Nolan Arenado, not even a, a smile. I, okay, yeah, Nolan no Arenado. I'm still afraid that he's just gonna leave. Which, you know, why wouldn't he? But um, yeah, okay. Uh, Nolan Arenado, you know, making a backhand play at third base or hitting home run, that, that can make me smile, but that's about it. It seems like it would be sort of exhausting to be in this situation the Rockies have been in where their superstar, their previous superstar, their current superstar, you know, whether it was Tulowitzki or Carlos Gonzalez was just, it was kind of just waiting and waiting and waiting for the trade and maybe hoping that the trade would happen just to get it over with? Is it just sad to kind of wait for the the news to come across your MLB trade rumors or whatever? Do you just kind of yeah. want it to just happen already so you can move on? Well, especially like post-Troy Tulipi trade, it's much worse because, you know, that's why it's like hard to be excited about Arenado because, you know, Tulo is on like a bargain contract, like a long-term deal. And so... When he signed that, it was kind of like, oh, shit, you know, this dude, he's here to stay. Like, we locked him up. This is great. He's our guy going forward. And now that, you know, Burdich is sort of blowing things up to the point where he's like, trading Kulitsky is the only chip that I have to play. Like, I got to do that. It's like, you know, now any, anyone can be traded or we can lose anyone. Um, but, you know, when Matt Holiday was traded, that was fine. We knew that. You know, he's a Boris client. He's going to want a huge contract. You saw that coming. But, you know, if you'd asked me two or three years ago, would the team ever trade Troy to the Whiskey? I'd like, why on earth would they ever need to do that? They're, he's, you know, on one of the best contracts in the league. That's stupid. Uh, and it happened anyway. So even if they do, you know, somehow lock up Arenado, uh, you still have to think. He could be gone too. So we do this thing uh, at BP, the Internet Baseball Awards, where you know people can vote, and so it, the, it's kind of like getting—I I don't know—it's sort of like a proxy for I think Stathead uh, Awards. And so over the last three years, there's 20 managers that have been active all three years. Walt Weiss is the 20th in total manager of the year votes, and I, I know a lot of that is just because it's hard to vote for a guy whose team is in last place. But it's also probably some indication that most people don't have. If they have any opinion of Walt Weiss, it's not a, a great one. Do you have an opinion about Walt Weiss and uh, how wobbly is his chair in Colorado right now? This is rude, but I have no opinion on Walt Weiss. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I think that like he's not Jim Tracy and he doesn't play the whole bench every Sunday, so that's cool. And like that's the only positive thing I, I really have to say. Yeah, I feel bad. I mean, like I'm, I don't know. I'm sure he's trying and doing a fine job, but like. I don't. I think the team's bad enough so that he. There's nothing really he can do to swing things out of the way. I don't. He's not actively harming the team in any way that I can really tell, making things that much worse. But yeah, as long as as long as he's not Jim Tracy, I'm, I'm okay with all ways. So, do you root for a complete 
teardown then? Do you say, let's get on with it? Let's get Carlos Gonzalez out of here. Let's get Jose Reyes out of here. Let's get any veteran who's still around because we've seen recent examples of that working really well. But on the other hand, that kind of depends on being able to develop a minor leaguer at some point. And so maybe you can't even really root for that because even if you do tear it down and, and build up your system, you haven't really seen the Rockies demonstrate that they can then convert that into something in the future? Yeah, it's. I mean, I think the system now is built up to a point where like, you might as well just keep going with it. So, yeah, I mean, I think they should trade Carlos Gonzalez some point this season. You know, I mean, if you're trading Dickerson, you might as well trade Gonzalez too if you're, if you're going that far. But what, but what reliever is available? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We need one more reliever who's uh, very got Jason Mott. We gotta find somebody else. And Chad Qualls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, might as well just go for it, man, and see what happens. Like, the team has been so depressing already that at least, I mean, I, I, I think this is probably the best system, farm system they've had maybe ever. So you might as well just keep adding as much of that as you, as you can. I mean, all, all prospects are basically lottery tickets. Especially when you're the Rockies, because you don't seem to have that much say in developing them. So at this point, you know, for this year, I think they should just go for it, see if they can actually develop some people, try to get Aaron on a resign, and you know, try to make the playoffs in time before he gets completely fed up and decides he needs to leave. All right, we're done. So, how many wins do you see them getting this year? Can you remember how many won last year? Uh, like thirty, thirty-five, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Let me check. Let me just go to my bookmarked Kyle Kendrick player page. Yeah, so they won 68 last year. 68, Jesus. 60. 68, yeah. 68 with a 6. I will say this year they will win 72 games. All right. Pakoda says 74, which is nuts. Oh, too that's many. close. <laughs> yeah. No, sorry we had to put you through this. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> okay. Well, you can find Tom on Twitter at T-O-L-E-Y-88. You can, of course, find him on Deadspin. And we thank you for talking about the Rockies for a while. I know it's not easy. Yeah, no problem. Always, always happy to. All right. And you can stay tuned for the second segment. Jeff will be talking to Jen Mac Ramos. Black bleed drum and I hum sack. And the wind whistled down the railroad tracks. Eight, three, four, quarter, one, four, nine. I'll best tomorrow by rocket man time. By rocket man time. By rocket man time. By rocket man time. The major league team on the field this year in Denver may not inspire, but the Rockies have built one of the best farm systems in baseball over the past few seasons. Here to talk about what might be in store for them in 2016 is Jen Mac Ramos, who you can read at Today's Knuckleball, BP Wrigleyville, and Purple Row, the SB Nation Rocky site. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So we're working our way through the reverse Pakoda projected standings for 2016, and most of the teams we've talked about to this point are very much looking to the future, so prospects come up often. But for the Rockies, it feels like the top talent here is a bit further away than some of the other bottom dwellers in the National League, and it's tougher to sell the fan base on players they won't see 
in 2016 for the most part. So given how bad the major league team has been recently, do you think there's still some optimism for the future there? I think there's definitely a lot of optimism in the future, maybe about three, four years down the line. Um, having seen the their high A team last year, I think that there's a lot of talent on the field. There's still a lot of raw talent that needs to be honed, um, but there's definitely a lot of hope for the Rockies down the line. So the sort of story of the Rockies player development, this has played out over the franchise entire entire history is really their inability to develop pitchers. We all know that Coors Field, humidor or not, is a very difficult place to pitch. But even in the minors, Asheville's a hitter's park, especially if you're left-handed. Modesto isn't bad by Cal League standards, but it's still in the Cal League. You know, we'll see how Hartford plays eventually. And Albuquerque is an extreme hitter's park, as was Colorado Springs before that. And just, I'm just going to list off a few names that they've drafted, pitchers they've drafted in the first round in the last decade. This is not a complete list, but like Christian Friedrich, Tyler Mazdick, Rex Brothers, Tyler Anderson, Eddie Butler, and John Gray. Do you think, what's sort of been their issue with developing pitchers? I think, personally, it's that when I talk to a bunch of these um, players when they come through Modesto, they don't really think long-term, they're just trying to get them to pitch at the level and not really thinking of how to pitch at Coors Field. Um, I think that being in a lot of hitters leagues like the California League, it's good for them to learn how to keep the ball down, getting a lot of ground balls. But at the same time, it's not really instilled on them that if they're pitching, if they're going to be pitching at Coors Field, they have to pitch in a certain way. And I think that if they're trying to get a lot of these guys up to the big leagues, they have to think in a broader perspective and not just the here and now. So do you think there's a advantage of bringing us someone like they traded Troy Tulowitzki for Jeff Hoffman, comes over to the Rockies at a higher level, skips over the Cal League, skips over Asheville, but still a fastball curve guy. For someone like that, do you think he can still be an impact player in the majors? I know over at BP, like uh, Brett Sayer, when he was doing our sort of dynasty top 101 for, for fantasy, moved him from a top 20 pitching prospect in baseball down out of the top 50. Yeah, um, I think that fastball-curveball combo could be a little bit deadly at Coors Field. But again, it's all about keeping the ball down, getting ground ball outs. I think one of the things that pitching development should try to do um, and pitching coaches should try to do at Coors Field is learn how to keep their fly ball rate down. Um, but that's easier said than done, of course. And it's just going to be a lot of tweaking in mechanics, in command and control, just to get the angle of the ball at a certain way to keep the ball in the field. And Hoffman has great raw stuff, and so does John Gray, who when I was doing the Rockies list this year for BP, I watched a fair amount of John Gray starts, and the stuff's great, but you get punished so badly for mistakes. And he has had some command issues, and I know they've emphasized like, keeping the ball down, but do you think it's from sort of a psychological perspective, and obviously we're on the outside looking in here, do you think it does weigh on you level after level having to deal with your mistakes getting punished more than they might elsewhere, or even good pitches not getting the results you think they would? 
Yeah, I think that it could definitely psych someone out, um, especially in this mental grind where you have to pitch, you know, every fifth day in a league that's unforgiving. I think that it can definitely wear on them a bit and they can overthink a lot of things. But of course, this is just me on the outside looking in. But I think that psychology has a lot to do with it, um, especially with the thought of having to pitch at Coors Field and a lot of people talking negatively about pitchers at Coors Field, that certainly doesn't help them in the long run. So you do see a lot of Modesto out in the Cal League. Who do you think was sort of the the best prospect you saw there last year? I would honestly have to say Ryan McMahon was very impressive. I thought that he had a little, he had a couple of hiccups, um, still trying to get um, his footing at third base, but I thought that he showed a lot of potential. He showed a lot of promise and his footwork got better over the season and his glove work got better. He can certainly hit. And it's not just because of the Cal League factor, but I think that he has the most potential from the 2015 team that I saw. He's really not all that far away. He'll probably start in double A this year. The Rockies do have Nolan Arenado entrenched at third base. And we'll talk about how that's sort of a good problem to have perhaps from a organizational standpoint, but what do you think his long-term future is? I have heard talks about McMahon um, trying first base out a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to stick long-term, um, especially since he profiles more of a um, left side of the infield guy, but it's certainly an option to have him move to um, short or first base. Um, I think that the Rockies are going to have to think long and hard how they're going to uh, keep his development on pace um, and especially have throwing in new positions for him. But it's certainly a good problem for the Rockies to have having two having two third basemen who could one of them already in the big leagues who is playing well above average and another one who projects to be well above average as well. So we often talk about the double A test, maybe a player performs well in the low minors, but double A becomes sort of the real test of what they might be at the major league level. Of the players you saw last year, who do you think is a prospect that can really change their stock or maybe change national or team opinion of them with a good performance in double A this year? I think that it could be Kyle Freeland or Antonio Sensatella, um, especially moving to a more pitchers friendly league in the, um, in the Eastern League. They have more of ability to develop their pitches, um, hone their secondary and third pitch. Um, I think both of them, they're especially with Freeland coming off an injury. I don't know if he'll start off in double A, but he'll certainly get there at some point next year or this year. Um, but I think that they have the potential to improve upon everything that they did in Modesto and also just completely surprise everyone from just surprise everyone with how well they can do this is a bp branded podcast we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about rymel tapia yes. the, the patron saint of bp prospect writers yes as i wrote in my report uh you know, i saw him in Asheville two years ago now and i get it i absolutely get it it's you kind of have to see it but can his approach and his sort of raw hitting ability continue to work at higher levels I think it definitely can. I think it can too. (laughs) I think that it's, he just has this amazing approach at the plate that 
cannot be replicated by anyone else, obviously. And he's still very raw, especially with his defense, but his hitting talent, it's there. It can certainly transcribe to other levels, but my only worry is his defense. But as a hitter, I believe in Tapia there. So we've covered sort of the big names in the system, but maybe who's a name under the radar that listeners to this podcast might not be aware of who could be a factor for the Rockies in the coming years? Carlos Estevez, for sure. Um, He's a reliever, and he's... He's a hard-throwing reliever, and when I saw him in the fall league the last year, it was just—I was just amazed by how well he was pitching. In even though it was late inning relief, um, he just had really good stuff. So switching to the major league team, briefly at least in sort of the medium term, the NLS has gotten better overall this past offseason. The the Diamondbacks and the Giants have made moves to try to close the gap. With the Dodgers, the Rockies have gone in the other direction. What do you think the medium-term plan is here in terms of integrating, maybe not in 2016, but a lot of these names that we talk about sort of in advanced day and double A could be up by 2017. What's the plan sort of for integrating them with the major league talent? I think it's certainly going to be a test for the minor leaguers and the major leaguers. Um... I think it's just kind of slowly bringing up guys one by one, kind of introducing them to the big leaguers and maybe in, even in spring training. Um, um, and I think it's just going to be a lot of a lot of mentorship. I think like I know that for one, like Ryan McMahon copied his infield um, routine from Nolan Arenado, so there's a lot of like younger guys learning from the big league guys. So I think it's just a it's just going to be a lot of that going forward. It's just going to be a lot of mentorship and leadership roles for the big league guys and showing the younger guys how to take the ropes. So if you're a Rockies fan, is there anything you can really hang your hat on, sort of get excited about for the 2016 Major League season or you just want to invest in a MILB.tv package? Um I think that Nolan Arenado is definitely going to keep bringing some hope to the Rockies. Um, he's certainly fun to watch. And I think that John Gray will be interesting to watch this year. It might not be like lights out all the time, but he's certainly going to help bolster the opinion that the Rockies could become good one day. So do you think there is hope? It's, it's a very difficult div- division. Obviously, we know about the Dodgers financial advantage the giants always seem to get player development wins that have eluded the rockies you want to talk about sort of a a opposite park effect in terms of developing pitchers that might work out in san francisco the diamondbacks seem to be going for it who knows what the padres are actually doing we'll get to them actually fairly (laughs) shortly but is there a way forward in this or for this front office and ownership group I think there is. I think it's just going to take a lot of time, and I don't think there's an exact set timetable, but I think they are doing their best to try and field a winning team. It's just the methods that they take can be open to a lot of criticism, but with the way that they're drafting, they're certainly trying to draft for the future. And even though 
they're stronger on position players. I think that it's just going to be a lot of work on the pitching side that needs to be done. Jen, we'll let you go on this. It's a very important question. Are you pro or con the Hartford Yard Goats nickname? I am very much pro Hartford Yard Goats nickname. Jen McRamos, you can read her stuff at today's Knuckleball, BP Wrigleyville, and Purple Row. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, that's it for today. Thank you to Tom Lay and Jen McRamos. You can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. As Sam and I mentioned on yesterday's episode, our book is finished, at least for us. We turned in our final changes to the proofs, and now it's out of our hands. The die is cast. We have crossed the Rubicon, more like Rubookcon. And if you enjoyed that little bit of wordplay, you might enjoy reading half of an entire book written by the same person who just said it, plus the half Sam wrote. The book is called The Only Rule Is It Has to Work, and it's about our effort to run an independent league baseball team, the Sonoma Stompers, last summer, according to sabermetric principles. Comes out on May 3rd officially, but if you pre-order it, you might get it a little bit sooner. And if you go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, through the link on the BP homepage, BP will get a tiny percentage of the sale. You can also support our sponsor for this show, the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. Use the coupon code BP when you subscribe to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. And we'll be back tomorrow with the next team in our series, the Oakland A's. Holland Green, Green, Rocky Road, you're promenading green. Tell me who you love, tell me who you love.